0: Two things that I need to clarify before we continue. One of which I've been asked about, you're going to the lab outside of lab hours. You always do so fully dressed in lab attire. So full scrubs, just as if you were going to the lab itself. The second question is regards how you approach the material. So for this first part of the lecture, I've gone through the nervous tissue the neurons, the support cells, um, the contact, the communication between cells as, am I too loud? Right. The communication between cells and I've identified as I went along what may go wrong at certain parts. So for example, if you're looking at your synapses, we know what may go wrong at the level of the synapse, presynaptic, postsynaptic, your neurotransmitters, antibodies, reuptake. So you may find then examples of the different types. We've looked at the axon, for example, and how the myelination occur. And we know what occurs at the level of the axon. Apart from myelination, we have transport. So we know, for example, if there's any defective transport because of absence of microtubules or proteins associated with microtubules, or if there's antibodies against myelin what the result is going to be, either defective transport, or you may have loss of motor function, or you may have loss of sensory function, right? So those are the little things that you're gonna apply. So as we're moving on, we're talking about choroid plexus. So I did mention a little bit about the choroid plexus earlier, and this slide just highlights for you where we find the choroid plexus. So when you're about to define the choroid plexus, two things that you must mention: pia mater, enfoldings of pia mater, which has within it fenestrated vessels, found in these locations, and their particular function is production of CSF. The same way we produce sweat, the same way we produce urine, which is via filtration of blood. That's how your CSF is produced. So at the level of the choroid plexus, filtration of blood via these fenestrated capillaries produces your CSF, which is then uh, filtered into the various uh, ventricles of the brain. So we have your right and left ventricle here, your third ventricle at this point, and your fourth ventricle. What is the name of the cells that's going to be lining these ventricles your ependymal cells so they continue all the way along here and down into the spinal canal so what do we want to do with these then we're going to be looking a little bit about the organs of the the nervous system so we look at the brain we look at the cerebrum we look at the spinal cord What you'll be looking at in these organs would be the arrangements of the cells in the gray matter and how it varies, because later you'll want to compare and contrast the cell types, the organization of these three particular locations. So this here highlights for you the choroid plexus again. So this is brain. That's the cortex right here. So this is going to be your gray matter. And outside of that, we know the pia matter is very closely applied to the brain itself. We also know that within the pia matter, there there are a lot of blood vessels. And this here shows the cavity being outside, your ependymal cells lining that cavity, and your blood is going to be filtered through from blood vessels onto here. We do have via the microvilli some reabsorption of that CSF as well on this slide we're going to see the same thing so these two are very low magnification It's your cerebral cortex here that's your pia matter so your tuft of uh, pia matter together with your ependymal cells with blood vessels within it so you can see little blood vessels within these tufts of pia matter but on higher magnification these are cuboidal ependymal cells they're modified cells that would be secreting your CSF, into the lumen of the ventricles. So these are these pale staining regions here. That's where the lumen will be. Within it, we can see our fenestrated vessels with your blood cells within them. Okay, so with the next couple of slides, we'll be looking at brain, spinal cord, cerebellum. We will not concentrate on the inner portions. We'll mostly be concentrating on the cortex of the brain And how it's organized, and the cell types that you're going to find within there. So, that's what mostly we want from you with regards to this portion here. Now, when we look at the, the nervous system, especially the central nervous system, we talk about gray matter and white matter. So, you must be able to identify what is gray matter and where it is in the different parts of the central nervous system. So, the gray matter. To take away your gray matter would contain cell bodies. So we have cell bodies with their dendrites, the initial parts of the axons in the gray matter. Of course, you'll find your support cells surrounding the cell bodies, for example, or the initial part of the axons in that part of the gray matter. In your white matter, that's where your axons are going to be. And we know axons are myelinated. So based on the stain, that has been utilized you may be able to tell if this is the axon or this is the, the gray matter or your white matter also we'll talk about nuclei and ganglion depending on where you're looking at we may be referring to one or the other so if you're in the peripheral nervous system we talk about ganglion which is a collection of cell bodies and for those of you who did your labs today and those of you who will be doing it tomorrow, you will find your dorsal root ganglion. So that would be a collection of cell bodies in the peripheral nervous system. When these collection of cell bodies are in the central nervous system, then we call them nuclei. Okay? So we have basal nuclei, for example, which are these guys here, which are collections of cell bodies in the central nervous system Or later, when we start looking at your cranial nerves, these cranial nerves, their cell bodies are in nuclei of the the medulla. Okay, so that's where they're going to be. Okay, so looking at the cerebrum, what do we want you to get from the cerebrum? In the cortex, the gray matter of the cortex, it's arranged in these six layers what's the highlight of these six layers? These really large pyramidal looking cells. And guess what the name of these cells are? Pyramidal cells, because they look exactly like that. Typical features of these pyramidal cells that you'll want to be able to identify where in the cortex they're found. So based on how the layers are named, the granular layer tend to have small cell bodies of your interneurons and the pyramidal layers are where you're going to find most of the cell bodies of the pyramidal cells. Okay? So the other neurons that are found in the cortex, they'll be found, then cell bodies, together with that of your interneurons, which are the little yellow ones, they are found in the granular layer, the rest of it would be the pyramidal cell layers. Also as we move, so this is the gray matter. Remember the gray matter of the cerebrum is on the outside, closer to the surface. Your white matter is on the inside. So as we're looking at the cortex here, it means our white matter somewhere down here, which make these parts of your pyramidal cells, these makes these the axons, these would be your dendrites, and we have a really long apical dendrite that extends all the way to the surface of the brain. So the name is exactly that, apical dendrites. And closer to the cell bodies, we have these basal dendrites. So typical features, whenever you see a cell that look like this, you should automatically think cerebrum, and particularly the gray matter of the cerebrum. And please be able to name and label these layers of the cerebrum. Okay, so this slide here shows you a little bit of what you'll find in each layer. So it's been magnified on this side, but from the outermost layer, your molecular layer, smaller cells, then we have slightly larger cell bodies from your pyramidal cells, and then closer to your white matter, we find that these myelinated axons are what you're going to find here with some neuroglial cells around them. So be able to identify your pyramidal cells and the different parts, your apical dendrites, your basal dendrites, your axons, and so. So this gives you a very nice picture of it. So we have cell bodies. There's a little dendrites. Here's your apical dendrite, very long, going towards the surface. And coming from the bottom here would be your axons. Notice the difference in shape or size, rather of your axons and dendrites. Usually your dendrites are a little bit uh, thicker than your axons are. So we can see this depicted here really nicely. Again, so here's your H&E slide. So it shows you very large cell bodies for your pyramidal cells, and we can see the extension of your apical dendrite all the way towards the surface. We do not see the axons very well in these cases. So, If you know what this appears like, then when it comes to identifying your spinal cord, you'll see how different this looks. So this here shows us myelinated axons. So this would be part of the white matter of the the cerebrum or the central nervous system. So the paler staining regions would be your axons, uh, your myelinated sheath rather, the central portion would be where your axons would be. The rest of this would be a little bit more of your myelinated or unmyelinated fibers. How does this differ then in the cerebellum? So just like in the case of the cerebrum, the cerebellum has gray matter outside, closer to the surface, and the white matter closer to the inside. Okay, So we're going to be looking at that. How does this look like on... larger scale. Now, what's the major function of the cerebellum? Coordination. So it means this cerebellum is receiving information from the periphery, it's receiving information from the brain, and integrating all of that information so that we can get one nice smooth movement. So in the cerebellar cortex, the gray matter, instead of having six, like in the cerebrum or the brain, You find that there are only three layers. So, these three layers from surface or superficial to deep, we have first the molecular layer, where you do not find very many cells, mostly support cells or basket cells. Then we have one single layer of these guys, the Purkinje cells. And we'll look at the Purkinje cells in detail in a little bit. But I did remember showing you a picture of Purkinje cells when we looked at the different types of neurons. So they were short cells, very short axons, but there's a lot of these dendrites on the, cell, on the body's, the soma. So that's where you're going to find them, these Purkinje cells. And then there's a granular layer which has several interneurons and other smaller cells uh, closer to the white matter. So those are the three layers of the cerebral aquatics. So now you can distinguish, oh, so cerebrum has six layers, lots of pyramidal cells, whereas if you're looking at the cerebellum, you have three layers, and each layer has a particular type of cell in there. Okay? So this line here highlights for us all Purkinje cells. You'll find the cell body. You do not see the axons very well, but you can see these highly branching dendrites into the molecular layer. Now, on an H&E slide, it highlights for you these three layers. So what you can see here compared if you were looking at the cerebrum, you'd see your granular, your Purkinje, are very distinct. They're like a single layer of these cells, and this only occurs in the cerebellum. So in distinguishing cerebrum from cere- cerebellum, you'd use it distinguishing the cell types and names of the cells and the amounts of layers that you'll find in each. The spinal cord, however, is very different. As, we can, as we're looking at the spinal cord here, you notice this very distinct gray matter. looks like a butterfly. Some people say it's an H. Okay? So from, it's a little bit upside down, so this is the dorsal aspect this is the ventral aspect here. So we have dorsal horn, that's what DH is, and ventral horn, that's what the VH is. These would be the gray matter. So whereas with cerebrum and cerebellum, we saw that the gray matter was on the outside, it's reversed in here, where your gray matter is central. And around that would be your myelinated axons or your white matter. So be able to draw and label the spinal cord, the different parts of the spinal cord. The thing is, what do we find in each part of the spinal cord? So in the ventral horn of the spinal cord, we'll find motor neurons. Under which classification do motor neurons come? Bipolar, pseudo-unipolar, or multipolar? multipolar. okay. So they are very large cells, and we'll see a a higher magnification of it in a little while. So they are very large uh, Golgi type 1 neurons. So if they're Golgi type 1 neurons, how are they different from Golgi type 2 neurons? They're very long axons. So we think of these very long motor fibers that leave spinal cord and then take to the, your skeletal muscles, for example. Right? So that's in the ventral horn. In the dorsal horn, you'll find some interneurons, and that's where your sensory information is coming in. So sensory from your dorsal root ganglion, for example, the, the extensions of the cell comes into the dorsal horn. They do not connect directly with neurons of the central nervous system, instead you'll find interneurons in this region here with which they'll interact and then these interneurons interact with your spinal your central nervous system their neurons so that's your dorsal horn ventral horn now in the middle here that's where your central canal is so which special neuroglial cells would we find here your ependymal cells they're going to line these As we look at your white matter, these are axons, so you'll find a lot of myelin. Which cell type will I find myelinating cells here? Would they be Schwann cells or will they be oligodendrocytes? your oligodendrocytes, because we're looking at central nervous system. So that's what you're going to do as you go along studying the different parts of the central nervous system. Which cell type is where, during the classification, that kind of thing. Okay, so this is an H&E slide. We're looking at part of the spinal cord. On This is central canal lined by your ependymal cells on higher magnification, our arrow is showing us these very large neurons. Which of the horns will I find these very large neurons in? Your ventral horn. Right? So very large motor neurons that we know are multipolar neurons, Golgi type 1, are going to be found in your ventral horn. Okay? So we're looking at them here. You can see cell body with your nucleus, nucleoli, and some of your dendrites, which are extending from that. So there's a special name that we give to the cells, the satellite cells, the initial part of the axons that you'll find in this part of the, of the spinal cord. is referred to as the neuropil, N-E-U-R-O-P-I-L. Neuropil. It looks like a network of fibers. There's a next slide that's going to show it nicely. It just looks like a network of fibers, and you can't distinguish very much. So that network of fibers that you're looking at would be dendrites, initial parts of axons, the the support cells that you'll find around there. These would be making up the Neuropil. Now, with regards to white matter, we know that these are myelinated axons. So if we were to identify any structures in here, the myelin does not stain with H&E. We know fat doesn't stain, or lipids does not stain very well with H&E. So the pale staining regions would be where your myelin is located. And central part of that, if you can identify anything at all, would be the axon itself. Okay, so the myelin doesn't get stained at all. So a little bit about the layers of the CNS. Uh, today, uh, you might have gotten a little bit of this in lecture already, because many people came by asking about the pia mater and dura and so. So these three layers from the outside in would be dura, very tough, which makes sense because it's between bo- it's just under the bone. So it's protecting the brain itself. Then comes the arachnoid matter. Think of spider web, very fragile type of tissue. And closer to the brain or the deepest layer would be your peer matter, which is highly vascularized. So each has their particular function and appearance. I want to talk a little bit about this slide here because this would be easy. You can go through the notes here, but I want to talk about this slide here. So based on what we've talked about earlier, we know the white matter of the brain is just below your cortex. So if this is the cortex here, which particular cell type should I be able to identify in the cortex of the brain? Which one? Your pyramidal cells. So we find pyramidal cells right here. Now, this is an H&E stain, but we have counter-stained with a special dye that's going to highlight connective tissue. Anybody knows what that dye is? Your trichrome. So it shows here then, if this is cortex, this is a gray matter, your white matter is inside. If this is, look at the content, the amount of connective tissue that's here. So this would most likely be your, what is it gonna be? Dura or Pia? <laughs> okay, so it says here, Pia. So we're seeing closely applied to the brain, dense, well, connective tissue, because you could see a lot of collagen fibers stained bluish green with that trichrome stain, and within it, a lot of blood vessels. So it's highly vascularized, closely applied to the brain. Outside here is that fragile looking tissue, your arachnoid matter, a little bit of blood vessels within it. And out here, even denser connective tissue with large blood vessels, you may find some large blood vessels, so this would be your dura mater. Now, the dura mater being on the outside, we know it's going to be thicker. So if you compare here with what your pia mater looks like, it's a lot thicker as well. So be able to interpret your slide based on one, the type of stain that is used so it distinguishes connective tissue, for example, from the rest of the fibers. We know that lipids does not stain with your HNE, so we'll be able to identify the myelinated sheath with your axons in the central region. So those are what we're gonna look for. And this slide also gives us a little bit of it. So white matter, your cortex is out here. Then there's gonna be your pia matter, connective tissue here, your dura matter, thickest on the outside, there's no, H, there's no trichrome here, so it doesn't distinguish your connective tissue from the rest of your tissue. So those are the things you'll be able to use. With regards to your peripheral, peripheral nervous system, we look at the nerves. I've told you a little bit about what a ganglia is already, but the peripheral, uh, your neurons or your nerves in the peripheral system, they are myelinated. We, we can recap by your Schwann cells. We have about Three Schwann cells in this case myelinating an axon, whereas in the central nervous system you may find one oligodendrocyte may be able to myelinate several of these. So we'll talk about your sensory neurons and your autonomic neurons here. Now, if you're looking at a nerve, for those of you who've seen a nerve already, if you come to the lab, you'll notice that it is white. It's sometimes thick, a little bit thinner. And we cannot appreciate all of this connective tissue lining. The most that you'll see when you get to the lab, depending at what stage of dissection you've seen, you'll see a little bit of fat around the nerve itself, white, flat-looking tissue, and that's about it. So we never imagined that there'll be all of this in addition to what we're looking at. But each of your, your nerve cells has to be protected. So that's where your endoneurium coming. It's the innermost lining of tissue that's deposited by the Schwann cells that's going to be protecting that nerve cell. So where is that? Actually, we are doing reverse, so we're starting from the outside in. So the thickest layer of your connective tissue, that's the entire bundle of nerve fibers itself, is surrounded by epineurium. This trichrome stain highlights a lot of the connective tissue and we can see how the connective tissue penetrates between bundles of nerve cells forming the epineurium. So the epineurium, sorry, is on the outside and in here would be the perineurium. So it goes around one bundle of cells. If we were to pull one of these out, we will find several nerve fibers in there. And each one will now have an endoneurium around it. But when we looked at a nerve fiber, we saw that there were several layers of myelinated um, lamina around the axon. So that endoneurium that's going to be there, some of it is going to be secreted by your Schwann cells. So this here shows your perineurium. So your epi would be all the way outside, as it's seen here. Parts of the epi penetrates in between one large bundle, forming your peri, and then your endo is going to be around individual cells. So if you were to find that here, this would be your epi, your peri, sorry. This will have in between it, so this would be an axon, and around each one of these axons would be your endoneurium. So be able to identify each one as you go along. So here's highlighting your endoneurium then. It's a little bit of tissue that's found right around the axon. Does, your myelin is not stained very well here, but you can see the central portion of your axons and your bundles showing your epineurium. Okay. So endoneurium deposited by your Schwann cells, your perineurium and epineurium may be deposited by your fibroblasts or secreting cells. In terms of your ganglia, we know that they are different types. So you have your sensory and autonomic ganglia. The pseudounipolar neurons would be found in your dorsal root ganglion. At that ganglion, there are no synapses occurring because usually we talk about presynaptic nerve fibers and postsynaptic nerve fibers and so when you're looking at the dorsal root ganglion, there are no synapses occurring at that point. They'll just be cell bodies. So there'll be peripheral fibers coming in to the the dorsal root ganglion and then fibers leaving the dorsal root ganglion to the spinal cord, but no synapses occurring there. So be able to identify where these ganglia are. When we're looking at the autonomic nervous system, with your sympathetic and parasympathetic system. I'm not so sure if you've gotten anything on autonomics as yet, but you will talk about, for example, in terms of your sympathetic ganglia, you will talk about paravertebral ganglia or your chain ganglion, your sympathetic chain ganglion. Paravertebral, they run along the sympathetic chain. You may also talk about your your pre- aortic ganglion. These are also sympathetics. The pre-aortic ganglion are associated with sympathetic fibers that need to go to viscera, viscera in the abdomen. So they're associated with three principal vessels in the abdomen related to the aorta. That's your celiac trunk, so you'll hear about celiac ganglion. You'll hear about superior mesentery ganglion, and you'll hear about inferior mesentery ganglion they're associated with the sympathetic system, okay? At these ganglia, related to the sympathetic system, you will find synapses occurring. So you'll talk about a pre-ganglionic fiber and a post-ganglionic fiber with the synapse occurring at the ganglion, okay? So if the, synaptic fi- if the sympathetic fibers are, for example, going to an organ in the viscera, or some of the organ in the viscera, an organ in the abdomen, you'll have presynaptic fibers all the way from your lateral horn of the spinal cord through to that pre-aortic ganglion. If we're looking at the celiac ganglion, the synapse occurs there. So that's your pre-aortic or your presynaptic fiber synapses on that ganglion, and then your post-synaptic fiber takes the sympathetics to the particular organ. Okay, So when you're looking at your different ganglions, be be able to identify your pre- and post-ganglionic fibers. And we can do the same thing with your uh, parasympathetics. Keep in mind that these are mostly motor fibers, so it means Uh, fibers to cardiac muscles or to smooth muscles or to glands. So they'll be particularly multipolar neurons. And we'll identify them. So this is a very important slide to study because it compares your parasympathetic with your sympathetic system, and it shows you where your synapses occur at the various ganglion if you were looking at your parasympathetic system. And it shows you as well where they are, where the synapses occur, your pre-synaptic fibers and your post-synaptic if you're looking at your sympathetic system. So this is a very good slide to help you. Now, at a, with looking at a sympathetic ganglion, what do we want you to be able to identify? With the sympathetic ganglion, we will see very large cells because we know your multipolar neurons are very large. They have very large cell bodies. So, we're going to see these very large cell bodies with their peripheral, um, maybe there may be synapses occurring on them. We We may see your euchromatic nuclei, and sometimes we may be able to identify the axons. So, we'll see a little bit of that. And little cells that are around the body of these neurons, those would be your support cells. So, we have little support cells around these um, sympathetic ganglia cell bodies. This nervous system here, you may talk a little bit more about it when you get to do your GI, but the enteric nervous system is sometimes considered a special nervous system on its own. It's almost like the brain of the gut. It can work on its own if it needs to. But keep in mind that it communicates via your sympathetic and parasympathetic system uh, with the brain. So you may have certain activities occurring just at the level of the gut, but there is communication as well between gut and the brain. To identify your ganglia in the enteric nervous system, we look at these two locations. One, in the submucosal layer, and two, in the external muscular layer. That's between your, your longitudinal and circular layer of muscles. So where are these here? In the submucosal layer, your Meissner's plexus is going to be located. So it's just below the mucosa in the submucosa lining. And your Auerbach's plexus between your longitudinal and circular layer of muscle. Sometimes it's hard to determine your your submucosal, but you'll definitely see a pale staining region if you're looking at your myenteric plexus. So let's see where we can find these. In terms of orientation, in the gut, the autonomic ganglion is located in the wall of the gut if you're looking at parasympathetics. So for parasympathetics, you'll always find your ganglion in the wall of the organ so looking at this here you automatically think either of your serums if you're thinking autonomic sympathetic or parasympathetic but if we know that the sympathet- parasympathetic is found in the wall of the organ then we begin to um, zoom in on the part- particular site or zone of interest so in this case this is the lumen of the gut so i'll just take you through a little bit here's the lumen here is your mucosa It's your three layers and then comes the submucosa, which is this portion right here. So if you're looking for our meissner's plexus, it's going to be somewhere in here. And then comes the muscularis externa with two layers of muscle, your circular layer and your longitudinal layer. And it's in between these two you'll find your Orbach's plexus. So the ganglion that we're going to find here with parasympathetics, do I expect to find a pre and post synaptic fibers? Should I? Yes, I should. Now, what type of neuron will I find at this ganglion? So then you have to start thinking what? Is it mortal? Is it sensory? Which type is it going to be? It's mortal. So what type of neuron will I find? Multipolar, bipolar, or pseudo-unipolar. If it's moto, it's going to be multipolar. Alright. So you're going to find some multipolar neurons right here. So on higher magnification, pale staining, because remember there are cell bodies that are going to be here, so they do not stain very well with your H and E. And that's where your pale staining fibers are going to be. Alright. So the post. The, oh, the last question, the, type, the cell body that you're going to find here, it says here the postganglionic parasympathetic fiber. So where is the cell body for the preganglionic parasympathetic fiber? Where is it going to be located? If it's the sympathetic system, where would I find it? In the lateral horn. Of the spinal cord. Okay? So, for the sympathetic system, the cell body for your preganglionic fiber is going to be in the lateral horn of the spinal cord. The postganglionic fiber, its cell body, is going to vary based on if the synapse occurs in the sympathetic chain or if the synapse occurs in the preaortic ganglion associated with your celiac trunk or your superior and inferior mesenteric, so that's going to vary. In the case of your parasympathetic, we've identified our postganglionic cell body. Where is the pre? You need to go back to the origin of your parasympathetics. Which nerves are responsible for parasympathetics in the body, especially if you're in the thorax or the gut? What's the nerve? Anybody heard of the vagus? Yes, the vagus. So the vagus has its cell bodies in the brain, okay? So in the medulla of the brain, you'll find preganglionic parasympathetic cell bodies. If we're in the pelvis, you're going to talk later about preganglionic in the sacral region. So it depends on which origin you're looking at for parasympathetics. If it's the cranial portion, we think vagus, then the preganglionic cell bodies in the brain. If we're looking at the sacral origin of parasympathetics, then the preganglionic fibers, their cell bodies, sorry, are going to be in the sacral part of the spinal cord, lateral horn. Are we clear? Lovely. Now, here we're looking at sensory ganglia. So this is the dorsal root ganglia. Type of neuron bipolar, pseudo unipolar, or is it a multipolar? pseudo-unipolar. So that's your dorsal root ganglion. Are there going to be any synapses occurring here? No synapses. So you're just going to find the cell bodies of these sensory ganglia in this location. How you will identify a dorsal root ganglion? We've seen where we'll find your parasympathetic ganglion, and we have seen what your sympathetic ganglion or cell body looks like. If you're looking at the dorsal root ganglion, you'll find that there'll be bundles of these large cell bodies. So we have these pseudo-unipolar cell bodies here, and alternating with them would be bundles of fibers, so nerve fibers. Okay, so it'd be collections of, fi- alternating fibers with collections of cell bodies. That's where we're going to find them. Now, Surrounding the cell bodies, which support cell will I find? Would I find satellite cells? Very good. So I'll find satellite cells supporting the cell bodies. And should there be axons, which supporting cell would I find? Schwann cell or oligodendrocytes? Are we in the periphery or are we in central nervous system? Right, so we'll find with cell type, Schwann cells. Okay, here's a question. 40-year-old male complains of pain in his elbow. No significant past medical history. The pain started about two days ago. He was using a screwdriver, so he was probably putting in nails or whatever the case is. We want to know which of the following best describes the type of nerve fiber, that will be responsible for mediating this pain that the person has. So what do you need to figure out? Is it a somatic pain or is it a visceral pain? Somatic pain. Now, this pain, is it going towards the central nervous system or away from the central nervous system? Towards. So would it be an efferent fiber or an afferent fiber? An afferent fiber. Very good, so it's a somatic afferent. Oh, okay. So a little bit about the the blood-brain barrier. We've spoken about your astrocytes and the fact that they participate in this blood-brain barrier, so they diffuse nutrients from, the cell, from blood to the nerve cell and all waste material from it. So that's the means of communication between the blood and the nervous tissue and the blood itself. So any breakdown in these astrocytes, we know that we've compromised the nervous tissue itself. So they, they become very important here. So when you're looking at the blood-brain barrier, please be able to describe the structures that form that barrier starting with your endothelial cells, the basal lamina, the basal lamina of your food processes, as well as the astrocytes themselves. Okay, so be able to describe all of the components that make up your blood-brain barrier. So these guys tend to maintain as well a nice microenvironment so that your nervous tissue can exist. So once that is lost, we know that your nerve tissue Um, become compromised. Now, because of this very tight control that occurs in the brain, any injury to the brain tissue, then the removal of debris and any other dead cells or toxins or so may also be slowed because the influx of your defense cells would also be reduced in this area. So in looking at response to injury, it means your central nervous system, injury to nerves in the central nervous system versus injury to nerves in the central nervous system will we'll see a slower um, repair process. Um, it may not be as effective in the central nervous system as it would in the uh, peripheral nervous system. Also, uh, this, a little bit you can read up on, the Wallerian degeneration or your anterograde, gro- dege- degeneration. It just tells you a little bit about how your nerve tissue degenerates during the case, in the case that there is injury. So the furthest away from that cell body, you'll find that the injury, for example, if it's along the axon, anywhere past or distal to that injury, all of that tissue degenerates. So that's your anterograde, And then we have a regeneration occurring. Keep in mind though that it's the axon that stimulates the oligodendrocytes or your schwann cells to myelinate or to deposit myelin on the axon mostly so especially in the peripheral nervous system so with injury to the nerve tissue your macrophages and so remove all the debris your schwann cells however could differentiate in order to replace that nerve tissue. But that does not happen in the case of the central nervous system. Once your axons are broken down or degenerated in the central nervous system, because it's the axon that stimulates your oligodendrocytes, once they're absent, there's no stimulation of your oligodendrocytes. So that repair tissue or repairing may be um, highly absent. So uh, this describes a little bit of the response, and it just shows how your Schwann cells, once the removal of your debris and so has occurred, the Schwann cells form the scaffold so that we can, it can guide the regrowth of your new fibers to the, the synapse or to your target organs, and you may have a repair or be able to reuse that organ again. So... I think that's the end of your lecture. Have a very good afternoon.